So this morning I'm going to uh, essentially continue our last few talks about the Holy Spirit. Um, and this one's going to be a little more on um, one of the things that Jesus calls us to do. One of the, the core things that Jesus challenged his 12 followers, his 12 disciples, what he challenged them with, that I think he's challenging us with this morning and in this season of our, of our lives and in our church. And so we're going to be looking at Matthew 5. In Matthew chapter 5, it's, uh, it's, one of the, it's a really cool section of scripture. Uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 records um, probably the most famous sermon in history. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Jesus gave a sermon on a mountaintop, and so Sermon on the Mount. We're real creative. Um, and so it's a Sermon on the Mount, and it's, it's, a, it's a collection of ideas, and, and it seems a little scattered, but I think what Jesus was attempting to do was to try and cover all that the disciples needed to know in one sermon. Um, now, he would reiterate these ideas throughout the rest of his ministry, um, but there's one section in there that when I was talking about the Holy Spirit the last couple of times I got to speak on Sunday morning, um, it just kept popping back into my mind. Just kept popping back into my mind. And so, like I said, it's Matthew 5, 13 and 14. So I'll let you guys turn there so you can see it. It'll be up on the screen as well. Um, I always want to try and I want to try and do that as much as possible, um, and also I wanted to, to to make a little disclaimer. The message this morning is geared towards those who are already believers, those who have said yes to Jesus, devoted their lives to Jesus, and are have received His Holy Spirit. Now, if you're here and you have not yet done that, I'm kind of giving you an insider's view of what Christians should be doing. And I will also apologize that we don't do this very well all the time. And so this morning, if you're here and you've not yet believed, hear what Jesus tells us to do in his heart for you. So Matthew 5, 14 through 16 up on the screen says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Whew, it's a pretty big calling. This is not one of those verses that you can minimize. And I think what happens is it's in, it's in this long sermon and it's, it's, it's kind of in between two pretty prominent sections of, of, of the Bible. Um, the, before this is the Beatitudes, the blessed are, the happy are. And, and Jesus gives a lot of counterintuitive, counterculture ways that, that we as believers are going to be blessed, that we as believers are going to have a blessed life. And, and there's lots of things, we'll go through a bunch of those towards the end of the message. But then all of a sudden he shifts gears and he makes this statement. He makes this statement. 
Now, if you look in the book of John, and we're going to look at a bunch of different verses, um, for time's sake, I'm going to put them all up on the screen just so we don't have to turn to all of them. But in John 1, 4 through 5, John starts his gospel, the word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. I want you to remember that phrase, brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Different translations can say capture, um, but that the darkness, or comprehend, there's the other one, that the darkness doesn't comprehend or extinguish the light. John continues in verse 9 of John 1. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John is making a theological point. And then in 8.12, I believe, is the next one. Awesome. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the life. You will have the light that leads to life. This is one of the seven I am statements in the book of John. And Jesus is claiming and making this statement that he is the light of the world, that there's no other light. That there is a singular light in the world and when you follow that light, when you have that light, you never walk in darkness again. And so we can begin to get confused if you read Matthew and then you read John. Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. John is saying that Jesus is the light of the world. And then in Matthew 5, in front of his disciples, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Well, Jesus explains in John 9, verse 5. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. That when Jesus was here, he was the light. And this is where this verse keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger for each and every one of us who have said yes to Jesus. Each and every one of us who has already believed this verse continues to get bigger because if Jesus is the light of the world while he was here, we are to be the light of the world when he is gone. After the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus hung out with his disciples. He taught him a few more things and he gave them commands to not leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit was poured into them, not upon them. It wasn't something that rests on the outside, okay? I, I, I was taught in, in, in uh, youth group and, and in, in college that uh, one of the best ways to understand Christianity is we're the moon. We just reflect the light of the sun. That's not at all what we are. It's not accurate. It's not biblically accurate. We are not the moon. We are the literal light of the world because Jesus has placed himself inside us. We're not reflecting, we're illuminating. Totally different. Totally different. That the light resides inside you. We understand, and I think we can all get behind and rah, 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 Jesus is the light of the world. Yes, he was God himself. He lived a perfect life. He is the light of the world. And Jesus was like, yeah, while I'm here, I'm only here for like 30-some years, then I'm out. I'll go back to heaven. This place is, ooh. Y'all know what I mean by, ooh. And he goes, but you're gonna stay. And we're like, no. 
Let us go. And he's like, no, stay. In fact, Jesus prays to God, and this one's a hard prayer. Jesus prays to God and, and, and asks God, please don't take them out of the world. Please, please don't take them out of the world. The world needs them. I'll say it again. Please don't take them out of the world. The world needs them. We are light because we possess the light. The 12 through Matthew tell all future believers, you are the light of the world because I get, I was reading a bunch of commentaries and I read some that said that this is a message just for the disciples. And I thought, well, isn't that convenient for all of us now? They were the light. They do all the work. We just sit back and let Jesus do everything. Like what a Western Americanized commentary that is. All I got to do is just sit in church and Jesus take care of the rest. That's not how it works. You are the light of the world. Jesus ain't here. He's in here, in you. There is work for us to do. We are co-laborers with Christ. Doing the ministry that he initiated, that he started. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. That message was proclaimed by the light that should still be proclaimed by all the lights. And so in Matthew 5.14, again, we'll put it back on the screen. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. You, pay, you placed a city on a hill for two reasons. One, for safety. So what Jesus is essentially saying is that when you become the light of the world, there's a safety in it that you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid to go into the dark, dark world and be the light because you're a city set on a hill, you're protected. And two, you set it on a hill so everyone could see it. No one put ugly cities on top of hills. The ugly cities were in the valleys. The most beautiful, the most prominent, the most important cities were set on a hill. And that should give us confidence, not confidence in ourselves because without the light inside of me, I'm completely dark. But when Jesus puts his light inside of me, when the Holy Spirit comes inside of me, I now become incredibly important in the story of eternity. Because when Jesus comes inside of us, we begin to proclaim the truth. We begin to proclaim the gospel. We begin to proclaim the good news. And we become part of a story that is so much bigger than each and every one of us. A story that spans generations and will continue until Jesus comes back. And you play a part in it. And that part is not to sit on the sidelines and watch other people do the things. That's not your job. There are no cheerleaders in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God does not include cheerleaders. Every single one of us is on the field playing the game every single day. We are all out there. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. There is only one word for that, and that's stupid. It is. <laughs> I'm sorry, there's no other word for it. I'm sorry if that word offends you and my young kids would be like, Daddy, we don't say stupid. Well, sometimes you gotta say it. It's just the truth. You light a lamp so you can see and then you place it under a basket so you can be in the darkness again. 
which unfortunately is so many of our stories, isn't it? God places the light inside of us and we're real comfortable in the darkness. So we put the lamp, we put the basket back over us so we can step back into the darkness to live in the darkness because we kind of liked it. But we'll get in a second to what that looks like to the world. So I want to teach you a few things about light. I did some, some research, some science Light's super cool. There's so much about, about the science of light that teaches us the gospel and the truth of Christianity. But number one, light is only effective in darkness. Some of you are like already smiling, like that's pretty obvious, Brian. Really digging deep there, aren't you, bud? But the problem is, if I was to turn a flashlight on in this room, now we're just comparing lights. Which is essentially how so many of us do Christianity. We're a flashlight in a group of flashlights comparing which flashlight is brighter. Ain't none of us putting the flashlight into the darkness. Because when you turn on light, darkness flees. It has to. But we spend so much time around other light that our light becomes useless. Light in a lit room is pointless. Light is only effective in the darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. So we wonder why the dark keeps getting darker. We wonder why certain places in the world are becoming darker, why the world continues to get darker, why is it getting more and more evil, and it's because darkness is the absence of light. You want to make something not dark, you put light in it. So I'm going to challenge you this morning that if you're tired of the world becoming darker and darker, get more involved. Your light in the darkness is what keeps the darkness at bay. But we spend so much time in this space here and with other spaces, with other lights, that our lights are not being of any use. And the darkness continues to get darker. The world continues to get worse. And we, and it's the truth that's, that's the natural progression of the world. The world doesn't know any better. I heard a speaker say recently that, that if you leave meat outside, unrefrigerated, it's going to go bad. It doesn't have a choice. That's its only option. The only option the world has is to continue to get progressively darker until we introduce light into it. So if you don't like the way the world is going, stop being surrounded by light. Light shines best through transparent objects. I have a picture up here that helps explain transparency. There's three. There's transparent, translucent, and opaque. And Jesus talks about this when he says, no one lights a lamp and places it under a basket because a basket is opaque. Nothing shines through it. And some of us have, have had the light inside of us for our whole lives. But everyone outside of the church still sees us as opaque. They cannot see the light within us. 
Some of us are translucent a little bit. These lamps are translucent. A little bit of light shines through. They're effective, but not as effective as a flashlight. The lens of a flashlight is transparent. It produces substantially more light. So we've got to become transparent people. And I think what, I don't, I don't know which is more scary. When I say that for light to be effective, it has to shine in the darkness, or for light to shine, we have to be transparent. I don't know which is worse. Neither of them are super fun, I'll be honest with you. Because to be transparent, we have to admit all sorts of things. We have to be honest with ourselves about our own state of our relationship with Jesus, about our own state in our walk with God, about how much of the light of Jesus we're actually allowing out. We have to take a hard look and say, am I opaque, translucent, or am I transparent? And it's not what you think, it's what the world sees. It's what the world sees. And so now we ask the question, how? And I'm really glad that you asked that because it leads right into my next point. You guys are so helpful. Thank you. I love each and every one of you. But Jesus in the Beatitudes, at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, he begins to tell us how to be transparent. And I'm not going to go through all of them for time's sake, but we'll go through most of them. He starts with poor in spirit. Poor in spirit means humble. Humble means not thinking too highly of yourself, that you have the right view of yourself. I think it was C.S. Lewis said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less often. And I love that. Because we can't think less of ourselves because I said earlier, if the light of Jesus, if Jesus himself, if God himself resides in us, we become really important. Because I've said it, I remember Mark said it, I remember Randy said it, I've heard so many pastors say it, there is no plan B. There are no reinforcements coming to save the world because we're not doing it. We are God's only plan for the salvation of people. And again, I say it all the time, I've argued that with him a lot. That's not the best of plans. I know me, I know some other people. We're opaque. We're sometimes translucent. I don't know many transparent people that just, the moment that you get into their, their, their setting, into where they are, you see the light of Jesus. Oh, one other thing. Sorry, I forgot this part. One other thing. Um, about light is your eyes become real accustomed to the amount of light you have right now. And that's why those who are translucent don't generally fit within, I mean transparent, sorry. Those who are transparent tend not to fit well in church because we're real used to the amount of light that we currently see. And so when come, someone comes in shining bright of Jesus, we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That literally hurts my eyeballs. You need to calm down. Okay, we only raise hands this far, not, mm -mm, nope, here, not here, here, okay. So you're, you're, no, you're going there, no, no, we go here, not there, mm -mm. You're talking to those people, we'll talk to these people, but not those people, no, no, no. 
people who are transparent hurt our eyes because we've become really accustomed to how much light that we currently have. But to not, to have the right view of oneself. And it continues with those who mourn. And Jesus continues in the Beatitudes that those who mourn. Now this is a lot of different meanings and a lot of different contexts and for some of us right now, this verse becomes incredibly important. Blessed are those who mourn for they be comforted. But one of the things we miss that Jesus is truly talking about here with his disciples is not the mourning of loss, is not the mourning of someone who's passed or not the mourning of anything like that. It's the mourning of their own sin. Got real quiet. That we are to mourn the fact that we continue to act in a way that separates us from God. That should be something that we mourn. Because if we begin to defend or deny our sin, we are completely and totally opaque. No light is shining through. If you deny that you have sin, you are making God a liar. John says that in 1 John. Actually, let's turn there. 1 John chapter 1. It's toward the back of your Bible. I don't know if I have this one on the screen. Apologize. That's okay. First John, if I can find it. There we go. First John 1. Starting in verse 5. It says, This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we, have, if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Now, this is not a pre-Jesus statement. This is not one of those, well, yeah, back in the 80s, I had some things going on, okay? The 80s were a wild time. I was like 84, so like first six years of my life, real rough, really got into some crazy stuff. But this is not one of those, yeah, I did sin. Yes, I used to sin all the time. It was awful. I have this great testimony of how God redeemed me. This is a continual statement. You sin, period. If you claim you do not, you are calling God a liar and the power of God does not live in you because you are being opaque. You are not being transparent. Because Western Christianity has decided that the number one way to convince other people that God is good is our morality. That's a terrible idea. Remember what Paul says? There is not one good. No, not one. Our morality will never bring anyone to Jesus because we don't have any. None. 
The only morality I have is the light that lives in me through the Holy Spirit. That is it. There is no goodness of me on my own. He says, blessed are the merciful. Because those who receive mercy should be the first to give mercy. When we admit how sinful we really are, when we finally break down and are transparent and admit, I am just not any good. Middle, there's Jesus. Over here, I'm the very righteousness of God himself through Christ Jesus. Then all of a sudden, no one else's sin bothers us. The world's sin stops bothering us when we admit our own. Because the world is darkness. The world is supposed to be dark. They don't know how to be anything but dark. We are the light, and yet we still live in darkness. That should give us so much more mercy for those who've never seen the light. They're in darkness. We should have compassion and empathy for how awful of an existence that must be. I had this picture in my brain. It's, it's like seeing someone who's choking and telling them all the reasons of what they could have done to not be choking and never actually giving them the Heimlich. That's what so many of us do to those who live in darkness. We want to tell them all the ways that them living in darkness is bad and it's awful and there's another way and it's better, but they're still choking. We need to empathize in their situation, come into their situation, help as best we can, not fix, but be a part of their situation, and then that mercy brings them to Jesus. Blessed are the pure in heart. I wanted to put this one up there because the only way we have a pure heart is because Jesus gave it to us. There's no ability to boast. There's no ability to boast over even someone who lives in darkness because my pure heart, the light that lives in me, I, light, the light that lives in me, I have done nothing to achieve. My works will not light the flame inside of me. Doing all the right things will not give me a pure heart. That comes from Jesus alone. And blessed are the peacemakers. Because, ladies and gentlemen, that is our job in this dark and evil world, is to be peacemakers, not to build more strife. So my question is, how often are we shadows? How often in, in and I'm not, I'm not talking, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say not individually. But this is more of a corporate statement. How often do we create shadows? Because I've got a diagram up here that'll help us understand this. But shadows occur when you stand between the source of light and where the light needs to go. How often, because we've kind of messed it up and, and elevated our morality, or at least our pretense of morality, to the highest level, how often are we shadows in the dark world? That instead of allowing the light to illuminate from inside of us in all directions, we leave the light over there 
stand in front of the world in judgment and are simply nothing but shadows. Paul said it in one of his letters, and I should have written it down, I didn't. He said, what business is it of mine, what the world does? The world doesn't know how to be anything other than dark. Our job is to be the light. So it comes back to the end in Matthew 5, 16. It says, let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And this is where we've, we've, we've misinterpreted. There are two translations for the word good. One is moral and one is beautiful. This translation is beautiful. Blessed, sorry. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your beautiful works. And what he's talking about in the context here is relationship. What he's talking about in the context here is how we treat people. How much mercy and grace and forgiveness and empathy do we have for people? How much like Jesus we are, how transparent we are that the light inside of us can shine in all directions to light up this dark world so that some may come to know the light that is the life of men. Those are our good works. It's not about, oh, I gave up cussing and I stopped watching these shows. Stop cussing and stop watching those shows. But that's not the core of what it's about. The core of what it's about is how your light interacts with other people. Do you treat them the same way that Jesus treated the sinners of his day? Are you mocked for being a friend of sinners? Because I can't think of a better badge right now in American Christianity to wear than for the church to make fun of us for being friends of sinners. That should be the badge we all are proud to wear because then the light that has been placed inside of us is not put under a basket, but is set on a hill, set on a lampstand, so that all who enter a relationship with you may see the light that is the life for all mankind.